Northview, it's Lexi. Thank you for joining us for episode two of In Good Company. Today we are going to discuss race and racism. And we're gonna be joined by two guests. So let's hear from Greg and Sarah. Thanks Lexi. Uh, joining me here is Sarah Mills. Can you let us know a little bit about your personal history? So um, yeah, family born and raised, that kind of stuff. I was um, born in the Caribbean, a small island called St. Vincent and the Grenadines. Not a lot of people have heard of it, you know, but it's there. And uh, I was adopted around the age of two into a um, Canadian, Caucasian, Christian family. And I am one of six children. I am the only one adopted. How has this kind of season that we're in, um, how has this impacted you or how are you processing it at first uh, to be honest I I didn't know how to process it I don't even know I fully know how to process these things I think those takes time but I think in that moment I you know wanted to kind of be able to focus on that but I also had other distractions in my life going on that weekend and so I kind of started to slowly think about it and be like okay what is what is happening how what how am I doing like and I think you know a day or two later it kind of hit me hard when I was like it, you know, when these conversations are happening about race and, and you know, the protest and what's going on, and, and it reminds you of, like, you kind of your own experiences. And, and it kind of brought up all the stuff going on inside of me because it takes me back to a place of, I've had those experiences, maybe not, of course, the police brutality, but, like, it kind of, you kind of check within yourself and you're like, all this stuff starts happening. I think often for Canadians, we, uh, we think that those kinds of events and those mm -hmm. kinds of experiences are like an America issue, mm -hmm. but not really a Canada issue. Mm -hmm. I think we have this kind of Canadian smugness about us mm -hmm. that, that that doesn't happen here. Yeah. Um, but your experiences actually would kind of go contrary yeah. to that claim. Yes. Are you willing to share any of those experiences to kind of help us mm -hmm. understand what it's, it's like being you here? Within that comment, I think like, you know, we do hear about it in the States and maybe like I'm saying within Canada, it's just not in your face, right? And so, with sharing these experiences, I think it does show that it is here. And so my first experience was when I was in grade two, and you do these exercises where it's like the all about me, and you know, you draw your picture, and you write a few sentences about yourself, and, and so you're going to color in your skin color. Like, that's just a part of it. And so you have your pencil crayons laid out, and, and I think something I always I remember in this time is that I, you know, everybody always went for, like, the... The peach color, like the I, yeah, that color, and and no, I I am brown, I'm like black. I need to go for that color, and so I, I hesitated even as a child to be like because you just kind of want to do what everyone else is doing, right? And so, you know, I picked up a brown pencil crayon and I started coloring, and I remember sitting here, and then there was a girl right here, like I can remember this exact situation. She looks over at my picture and she, you know, looks at me, and then she says like chocolate, like you're chocolate, you're a chocolate girl. And, and in that moment, like, I don't remember much, but I remember there's some sort of like feeling of hurt that's going on, whether I knew at that time the impact of it, I just knew that something didn't feel right. And, and I remember, you know, teacher had come over and I'd overheard the conversation and the girl got up and I think parents were involved at that um, point with my mom and, and her mom as well. And it was addressed with, and that was like the earliest thing I can remember is just that comment. You know, you don't forget that first time when it kind of affects you, whether you, again, the impact of it. Mm. And then you kind of go into, like, I think about my even childhood after that and kind of during that time. And again, like I was telling you, like, I'm raised in a Caucasian family. And so I would pray, like, I would pray to God and be like, God, 
you know, I know you can do miracles. I, I know that like if you could just make me white, mm -hmm. that's my prayer. Like if I could wake up one morning and I was white, things would be better. Like I, I wouldn't, if I was white, I, people wouldn't, you know, stare at me. People wouldn't, um, I wouldn't have to, like, they wouldn't have to question. I wouldn't have to, like, I have to question, like, my relationship with people in my life, you know, or my siblings, my parents. And, and I just thought that would make everything easier. It's just if God just did that. And I woke up and I was just like everybody else that I was around um, going into high school. I was in grade, I think, grade eight or nine. And walking down the halls and there's a group of boys at the far right. And I'm walking into my locker and they used the N-word. And, like, it just called it, like, directly said it to me. And there was other students around. Like I wasn't the only one in the hallway. And 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 I, in that moment, I just was like, I didn't really do anything because, again, I actually didn't know what that meant. It wasn't like I had this conversation before. It wasn't like I had watched a movie or read books that I, I knew what that term was. But again, you inside you feel it's wrong. You just mm -hmm. again I didn't know. So I remember going home, and I told my brothers. My brothers like that's wrong. Like that's not okay. Like that they shouldn't be saying that, you know. And I was like, okay kind of validates my feelings, like this is something wrong. So it happened a second time, start to get a little bit more, you know, upset about it, but then I'm in high school. I'm, I don't, I haven't learned how to stand up for myself yet. I, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to express my hurt in that way. I don't even think I knew if it would do anything. So again, and then a third time, third time it happens. It happens a few times, you know, it happens again. Same, same students, I think it was in the classroom this time. At that point I was like, okay, I've got to do something. Like, I need to tell somebody, you know, somebody is stepping at school. And I go to, like, the counselor at my school, and I remember, like, walking in, and I told them what had happened. And they said, right away, they were, like, kind of, like, laughing a little bit and kind of, like, oh, it's just kind of, it's a joke. It's a joke. Mm -hmm. They don't mean it. It's probably because they have a crush on you, right? Like, it's, mm -hmm. it's nothing. Like, it's, don't make a big deal about it. And I think in that moment, I realized that, I don't want to, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to bring up this again. Mm. I don't feel like it's going to do anything. So I suppressed a lot of it after that. I just, things continue to happen, but you just kind of mm. leave it. Mm. And then going into driving, you know, getting your license, it's mm. exciting. Mm. You want to explore. Mm. And so one of the first places I wanted to go was across the border. I think I had no issues going in, like mm. going across, coming back uh, the first time. And, you know, they asked the questions of where you've been. I hadn't bought anything again. I just was more the experience of maybe just driving across the border. Yeah, totally. And, uh, and then they said, okay, pull up, pull over up there. Okay. Mm. Search my car, you know, put it together. So I thought, okay, first time, it's probably random, right? Second time it happens, again, going across, same car, like exactly the second time. It was like there's times in between. Go across, no issues. I come back get out of the car, you do the searching again, and I'm like, okay, again, this doesn't feel right. This is the second time. Mm -hmm. Third time, you're like, okay, this Pattern. is yeah. this is not random. And again, it's like you're getting out of your car. It's just an awful feeling just to be like people driving by staring at you. Yeah. And I, like, you know, I had the staring when I was a child, and it's like this feeling that just takes you back to this place of humiliation, and yeah. you don't want people to see you, like, be looking at you, and especially in this aspect where it's, I wonder what she did, you know, whatever. Right. So after the, that third time, I decided I am not going to drive my car across the border anymore. Mm. I will drive, I'll go across the border, but I will have friends. I will ask my friends and, you know, they're 
happen on my Caucasian and they will drive and I'll be a passenger and I'll go in the back. I realized that we never got pulled over. We never, or like, we never like went across and then came back and they just were like, how long are we there? Show your receipts. And you went through. And I was like, it's that easy. Like mm -hmm. I was surprised because I hadn't had that experience yet. Mm. And so I still haven't driven across the border with my car. It's been 10, 12 years or I don't drive across. This is just a thing that I decided I won't do. Have you felt it in smaller ways or mm -hmm. um, maybe even a bit of a different angle? Like those mm -hmm. seem to be mostly like out there examples, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. any, anything in the context of your involvement at, at Northview mm -hmm. where these kinds of, of hurts and emotions kind mm -hmm. of swell up again mm -hmm. in you? Yes, I have. I, uh, I, I think it's done in a way that it's not intentional, you know, mm. unintentional. And I think it's subtle. It's not like those big experiences, right? It's like, you know, maybe through conversation or different questions people ask. Like, for example, it's like the, you know, where are you from, right? It's not just where are you from, it's, mm. but where are you from? <laughs> <laughs> the one that I noticed a lot, like, in just conversation is, and again, it's not with bad intentions. It's the I don't see color, and and I know behind that it could be you know I just see you as one of us and the rest of us. But it hurts because in in a way that you know you don't see me, you don't see me. The fact that God's created me like with darker skin, and I think by seeing it and acknowledging it, you're also acknowledging God's creation, like God and how God has created us differently in that way. And so I really think it's like. I want you to see me. I want you to see mm -hmm. my color. Let's mm -hmm. celebrate, celebrate it. Let's celebrate diversity. From your perspective and your experiences and uh, even your studies in global development and mm -hmm. that all that kind of stuff as a church, mm -hmm. as a community, scripture calls us a family. We're brothers yeah, and sisters in the Lord. Mm -hmm. How do we engage in this issue constructively, right? I think our viewers and people who are watching mm -hmm. uh, are probably wanting an action step. They want to, yeah, they, they want to be better at this. Yes. So can you, can you help us kind of think that through a little mm -hmm. bit? I think the most important thing to start off with is, you know, ra racism is, a, is an issue of sin. And the only thing that will fix sin is, is the gospel. That's like, that's really the answer in that case. Right. And, and, you know, if we believe that Jesus died for all of us, no matter what race we are, then how we treat others, it should reflect that. It should reflect Christ's love. And so mm. it goes in how, how we see each other, how we treat each other, how we treat our neighbors, how we like interact with people at work. It's just, it's all of that. It's just mm. like, you know, it, it comes from that. And I really believe that, you know, Christ will return to make things new. But in the, in the meantime, I believe that there's work to be done and there's steps to take. But where do we begin now? If this is something that we're, you know, starting to have more conversations about, then it's like, what's the first, first step? In order to have a conversation with people, you need to have a place to do it and you need to create a safe place to do it, mm. you know? I think to talk about what a safe space is, is yeah. to kind of, yeah. I think I just kind of use that term because it's kind of what we use in where I study and yeah. since we're working with children, it's, it's like. It's kind of a buzzword, right? Yeah, like yeah. see it, people, and maybe even some people watching this are like, ugh, two millennials <laughs> talking about safe spaces. Safe spaces. So like, space, what, space, space, what space. is it? What, what yes. When you say a safe space, mm -hmm. what, what do you actually mean by that? Hmm. If we're both going in together, being like, I've got to do this, this, and this. We're not really listening to each other. We're not mm. having a dialogue. It's just more like, I'm proving my point, you're proving your mm -hmm. point. And it, it could become argumentative, and then it shuts down. And that's not safe. If you want people to open up and share anything, there has to be that place where they feel mm. that they're going to share. And then that could open up the door to talk about things like this as well. So mm. it's like establishing a place where 
Mm. You're both coming in humble. Like, there's humility in it. Mm. You're coming in to learn from each other. Mm. You know, conversation's good. I firmly believe, you know, I work with children, and I think that conversations need to happen with our children. I think, like, you know, you're seeing videos now where maybe we're recognizing for the first time that black parents are sitting down their children and being like, this is what the world looks mm. like. But I think that's for all parents. I don't think, you know, we need to, like, bring this up with all of our children and sit down and children are going to notice, like, race. You know, I, I have nieces and nephews. I have, I have nannied for children. And mm. around the age of two or three, they start to say something. They're curious. It's curiosity, mm. right? And, it's, you know, that can foster into discussion with them mm. and conversations. There's an opportunity here to kind of explain that, you know, this is something you might see mm. from a friend at school mm. or someone else. And we need to, like, stand up against that, and you know? Yeah. And that kind of goes into... You know, even as a Christian, as adults, like, I always think, like, seek justice, love mercy, remain humble, right? Like, that is mm. something we're taught in the church. This is not, these are not new concepts. This is something we've, we've been taught. And so I think together we can have mm. these conversations. It seems like with social media mm -hmm. and with, I don't even just our, for whatever reason, conversations, actual conversations are just hard to have, mm -hmm. right? It's, yes. it's easy for us to just try to post something on social media to like dunk on somebody yeah. and show them how they're stupid and we're smart yeah. and in conversations to try to mm -hmm. not actually sit and be willing to let a conversation develop and go where yes. it needs to but yes. we we are so like I have to accomplish this or it wasn't worth it exactly. and so yeah I don't know it, as I'm hearing you talk the thing that comes into my mind is this idea of like we just need to be willing to have a longer term view of how we're gonna address these kinds of things. Of because we can't just let, it's not a Band-Aid solution. No, exactly. It's, it has to be willing to have, you know, small conversations yeah. that lead into bigger conversations. Exactly. And so, yeah, we, I, don't, I don't know if we're ready for that in this. I think we're more ready for like a quick fix. It's like put the Band-Aid over it. Yeah. But that's what's been going on. You put a Band-Aid over it and it cycles back and forth, right? And yeah. so it's like generational too. It's like it, put the Band-Aid on, it's gonna come back again if we just do a quick fix. Mm -hmm. This is something that's gonna take a long time. This is not going away overnight. This is not going away by next weekend. Like this is issues that have been going on for years. And so, you know, it is, it's not about the quick fixes. It's about how do we begin somewhere mm -hmm. and how do we continue to move forward mm -hmm. together? Right. And so, because let's say in a few weeks, something else happens, right? Mm -hmm. We had COVID happen and now we have the protests and it's like, what's the next thing that's going to be taken over social media and the news? And we're going to move on. Like, you know, my prayer is that we don't just move on from it, but something else is going to come mm -hmm. and distract us. And so I think if we take it like a step at a time, I think that's more, that's going to work towards something instead of just being like, Here, here's where we need to be. Like, here's, let's, here's the huge thing. Like, let's work towards this right now. It's like, no, let's start here, mm -hmm. you know, and it starts with the conversations, I think. And I think one thing I also wanted to add is just even with your prayer life, I think like, you know, pray, pray that, you know, God would like, break your heart for what breaks his. I think we need to, yes, you begin somewhere and you need to like open up that dialogue. But they're not conversations that are always comfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, conversations, these are tough and you might be in a place at some point where you're talking with someone, maybe it's a coworker or a family member and this comes up and it becomes uncomfortable. And I think in that, you know, we're, there's nothing wrong with being uncomfortable with this thing. This is not a comfort situation. This is something that, you know, mm -hmm. there's a lot to address in this. And so I think, understanding that it's going to be hard there's work and I mean hard work is hard work for a reason right like we know that but you need to be willing mm. willing to start somewhere mm. and have the conversation and like we're saying like move forward mm. you know don't just put the band-aid on and be like okay well this week I 
posted something and I yeah. talked to one person. So I I'm did good. Blackout Tuesday. Right? So I'm good. I'm good. Everyone knows that yeah. I am I'm supportive. It's yeah. like, no. Good, but like keep going, yeah. right? Like social media is such a huge platform. Yeah. You can use it for good, right? Like it's you have to be careful, but yeah. there's a lot of good in that as well. Mm. So like again, I'm still processing it, so I think there'll be more things that we can have conversations about in the future. And I think for yeah. now it's just a kind of a place to start. Yeah. It's just sharing experiences and again being reminded of the gospel. Thank you so much for joining us here and I uh, really appreciate you sharing your, your perspectives and uh, looking forward to having that conversation continue. Thank you, Sarah and Pastor Greg. Now let's hear from Pastors Jesse and Dwight. Dwight, thanks for joining me on uh, the show today. We're here uh, to talk to you a little bit about, about what's going on in our culture uh, and specifically as, as pastors um, to try to think biblically, theologically through what, what is our role as Christians in all of us in all of this, both inside the church and, and outside the church. So, Dwight, first of all, tell me a little about yourself. Where are you from? What are you doing here in Northview? How long have you been here? All those good things. All that fun stuff. I was born in the Caribbean. Um, beautiful, tiny little island called St. Lucian. So I spent about the first eight years of my life there and then kind of moved and was brought up to, to Canada and Burnaby. And there I remained ever since. Yeah. Um, got a call. The Lord yeah, called us here and you know, here we've been um, for another three years. So. Dwight, tell me a little bit about um, what's going on in, in our culture, in, in society. Um, in one word, maybe one thought, what, yeah, what, what comes to mind? How have you been doing through all this? <laughs> Honestly, sad. Hmm. Sadness is the biggest and it's, the, for me, the all-encompassing emotion right now. It's, you know, for a lot of people, they'll, they'll look at the news and they, they'll kind of see what's going on. They're like, oh man, that kind of sucks. Um, but for a lot of blacks and African-Americans, African-Canadians, really, um, we look at what's going on in the news and we're like, that's just our reality. Hmm. That's just the reality that we deal and face every day. I've got a ton of family that, that live um, in New York and for them, for my, especially my cousins who are male, yeah. They live with the fear of when I walk out of my house, am I coming back? Do you know what I mean? And, and so it's just, it's a lot of sadness um, that I have on me right now because this has to stop. Enough yeah. literally is enough. Yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, you're children's pastor here yep. at Northview, yep, yep. Um, which means your job is to make sure every kid that enters the doors of this church loves Jesus and never strays away from him. Done. Okay, yes. no pressure. Got you got this. Out of boy. <laughs> what would you say uh, to the parents of, of people who belong to Northview or um, just, just as we disciple kids in general, how do we help them understand this, this cultural moment? There's a lot. Um, like I said, I, I'm a dad of four, and, and so when I look at my four kids, and, and they're going to grow up in a culture and a society in the world different than I grew up mm. in. And, and so now, when you look at this cultural moment that we're in, like how do I talk to my four kids about this? And think for, for me, um, one of the first things for all parents I would say is we need to develop an awareness of other cultures. And not just develop an awareness of other cultures, but we need to be able to talk to our kids about that. because. The whole, one thing I hear a ton, it's like, oh, you know, I don't see color and color blindness. That's garbage. Mm. Do you know what I mean? When, when we do that, when, when we're trying to preach to our kids, oh, you know what? Color doesn't matter. Well, no, it, it matters. Look at our society right now. It's telling us color matters. And so we need to make sure um, that as parents, we are addressing those cultural differences with our kids. Because when you're not addressing them, 
well, you're, you're giving, you're doing your kids a disservice. And so I think let's make sure to address cultural differences and the cultural awareness in our families, but also we need to appreciate, have an appreciation for the other. Mm. You know, it, it goes not, it goes beyond just, not just addressing the cultural differences, but the way in which we talk about the cultural differences. We as parents, we need to model, you know, love for the other. Mm -hmm. And the way we talk about the other in our home goes a long way in fostering strong racial relationships. You know, our, our kids, they're biracial and they're going to grow up different. And so we need to make sure that we are talking about racial things with them all the time. You know, even this morning, we were watching the news and, and my daughter, she's like, hey, those people are not social distancing, kind of looking at the riots. Mm. And then I had to explain to her, well, this is why they're not socially distancing, yeah. because they are trying to stand up against something that's wrong. What's wrong? Well, the fact that some people think because you're black, you need to be treated differently. You need to be treated less than. Yeah. Her thing is, well, that's wrong. I'm like, yeah, it's wrong. If a five-year-old knows that it's yeah. wrong to treat somebody different because of the color of their skin, how come a 45-year-old doesn't know that or a 55 or 25-year-old? Yeah. So I think um, we need to make sure that we are within our homes fostering healthy discourse with our kids in such a way that when they go to the playground and they see, you know, a little Asian kid or a little, you know, East Indian kid, it's yeah, okay. Yeah. We're all the same. I can play with that kid just the same way I can play with that Asian kid. Yeah. The white, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So as a as a children's pastor, uh, one of the things that you take seriously is is teaching um, kids to love and appreciate God's word. Mm -hmm. So where would you where would you direct uh, uh, parents and kids to to get a vision for this idea uh, that we are supposed to see see color? but yet treat everyone with love and compassion and respect. Where do you get that from? They will be gathered before the throne of God. Every tribe. Revelation every, 7. Revelation 7, yeah. Every yeah. tribe, every language, every nation, every people are before the throne of Jesus worshiping him. Yeah. All of us. Yeah. The blacks, the Mexicans, and the whites, we're all there. And so when I see that, when I read that, like, what is my role as a pastor, as a dad, in making sure that I need to make sure that, you know, the, the environment in which I raise my kids up in yeah. is one that appreciates every language, every culture, every tribe, every nation. Yeah. It's one in which that says, because you're white doesn't mean you're better than me, doesn't mean I'm better than you. Because you're white, guess what? We are part of the human race. Yeah. The same Jesus that died for the black guy is the same Jesus that died for the white guy is the same Jesus that died for the East Indian guy, yeah. the native, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so and it starts with understanding we're all equal before the throne of Jesus. Sure. And we teach our kids that. If that's what is going to unite us, is um, our worship of God is, is the gospel, what would be some examples that, that you would have maybe in your own life of the power of the gospel being misunderstood in, in that sense? You know, I had the pleasure of dancing with uh, with the Christian team, Freshly Christian team, and um, down in Kansas City, Missouri, great barbecue, by the way. Okay, good, good, um, good to know. And so we were there, and our team, we'd been asked to, to shoot a music video for, the, for a little girl that had said that had been murdered. And so we get to this, uh, this park in a very black area and we're setting up our gear getting ready to shoot the video and this elderly black man he comes over and he sees myself you know it's me and on our team we've got you know some Norwegians we you know we had a guy from Korea a guy mm. from Vietnam we had a bunch of people that looked different yeah so this elderly black man so he's like hey what are you guys doing and kind of explain to him you know we're just a Christian dance team we're here to shoot this little video for you know for precious and then he looks at me and he's like but you're with them 
I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm with them. Me, the black guy, is with yeah. them. And again, like he, he couldn't understand. I'm, I'm, I told him, look, here, this is what we're doing. We are a Christian dance team. Once we're done here, we're going to take the good news of Jesus, yeah. take it across the U.S., take it to Europe, so kids, youth, young adults get to know that there's a God who loves them and not, wants nothing more than to be in a relationship with them. To him, the fact that me, a black guy, being with a bunch of non-blacks, that was the issue. <laughs> and yeah. that, in the moment, made me realize, well, to him, the gospel is foolishness. Because he could not see beyond the fact that me being a black guy was doing ministry with whites and Asians and Mexicans. You cannot understand and accept the gospel yeah. if you think that, well, no, you stay separate, you stay separate. Yeah. Jesus came to do away with those barriers. Yes. That's, a, that's a fascinating story because I think as Christians then, it would be my understanding that if, if we know where this thing is headed, if we have the power of the gospel through the, through the Spirit, then do we have any excuse, Dwight, in, in our own church, in, in, in our lives, for racism? Does racism make any sense in, in the Christian context? No, I, no. It, it, it does not because the same God that went to the cross for you went there for me, went there for the little indigenous children. Went, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So if you're going to claim the cross of Jesus, do you know what I mean? If you're going to go out there and say, I am a Christian, well, guess what? A Christian means you love everybody. Yeah. Because Jesus went to the cross so that all people would come to him, all tribes, nations. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. To me, racism cannot exist within the Christian context, within the yeah. church. How does Northview reflect the reality of, of the power of the gospel in breaking down cultural barriers and also the fact that, that God is gathering to himself a, a people made up of all uh, different languages and, and, and skin colors and, and tribes mm -hmm. and all, all these different things. How is Northview doing at, at realizing that? For me, I, I, I want to make sure that when my, my daughter is sitting there watching our open session, she sees somebody that looks like her. Mm. So she, she realizes that, okay, there's a place for me at Northview. Because if my kids come to this church if, or go to any church and all they see are white faces on the stage, that 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 preaches something to them, you know what I mean? Sure. It says yeah. to them, well, actually, you know, your your place is not up here. Yeah. There's not a place for you here. And so for me, as a, as a pastor, I make sure I try to make sure, anyways, um, that as I create my teams, I'm creating a team of nations, tribes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes. That, for the little African kids that come here on Sunday or Saturday morning, yeah. they see someone that looks like them. For the little Asian boy or Asian girl that comes here, they see someone that looks like them. So they understand that Northview is a place for everybody. Yeah. Is that the actuality? Yeah. Are we doing that well? In some places, yeah. In some other places, yeah. no. I wonder if, if my heart and my desire to share the good news of Jesus Christ is limited towards people that look like me. Uh, because I kind of understand them a little bit more right. and, and stuff like that, and and not uh, doesn't grow in me a, a deep uh, desire and appreciation to share the good news of Jesus with people that don't look like me. And I think the reason there is that it's harder, right? There's, yep. there's, there's some cultural barriers. Right. There, there's some language issues right. there. There's a different religion involved often, and and oh man, that's a lot of work. If when our kids are young, we're talking to them about those cultural differences, we're yeah. educating them about. Okay, so you see that little boy with that, that turban on his head. Yes, he's got a turban on his head, but then that doesn't mean he's different. If yes. From a young age, we are engaging our kids in those discussions. We're allowing them to see the differences that exist. And guess what? Those differences are okay. Yeah. Let us early on bring those conversations yeah. into our homes 
then when it, you know when there are people on the street, it's like, well, do I go share the gospel with the white kid or the black kid or the, the Mexican kid? It doesn't matter. I'm yeah. going to go share the gospel with everybody. Why? Because everybody is the same before the throne of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. There's diversity for diversity's sake, and then there's right. there's healthy diversity. I think, yeah. right? And so, what would your thoughts are? There's whole idea of tokenism. Sure. Should anybody, you know, we need a black guy or we need an Asian guy or we need to seem diverse. No, yeah. that's not diverse. Mm. That's just another form of racism, honestly. It got highlighted to me when I was in Airdrie. It just got on, and you know, we were walking through, there's a new Christian school that opened in, so they invited all the you know faith leaders in Airdrie, yeah. and you know, here I am with my lead pastor, Sandy, and with another pastor, and so Sandy just introduces myself, introduces me to him, and you know, the other pastor just looks at Sandy and says, oh yeah, we hired one too. And I'm just like, what? Wow. You hired one? So again, so it, it wasn't, it wasn't the fact that he hired a pastor that was the thing. It was the fact that he hired a black guy. Yes. And like that is not being diverse. That is yeah. simply another form of racism. You're just trying to mask it yeah. with Jesus. It says something too uh, about your actual ability to be a pastor. It says yes. more so your value to this organization is the color of your skin versus yeah. your God-given abilities to shepherd the flock. And oftentimes when those things happen, um, you, you have no voice. When you are the token, yeah. you become a prop to be paraded around in front of people. And so, so your, your voice is one of yes, massa, no massa. I think, again, scripture can lead us in this. And the, the good news should go freely to all different sure. people. And, and naturally, the churches should, should reflect their community because of it. I am a big believer that, yeah, the church, wherever your church is, man, your church, from its leadership to its congregational makeup, needs to reflect its larger community. So Abbotsford, yeah. literally, there are two dominating groups in Abbotsford. You're either Dutch Mennonite <laughs> or you're just East Indian. Yeah. North has a ton of Dutch Mennonites, like a fraction of, uh, of the you know, Indo-Canadians. Yeah. Why? Mm. You see, and that, that would be the question I want to answer is, yeah. is why, yes, this is an MB church and, you know, with the men of Simon, I get that. Yeah. But what's stopping us? There mm -hmm. is something stopping us from going and reaching out yeah. to those Indo-Canadians. Yeah. What is it? Is it fear? Is it ignorance? Yeah. Is it prejudice? Because we know what it's not. It's not that the gospel isn't relevant. Right. R right? Yep. It's not that it's not powerful enough. It's, right. it, it can't be any of those reasons. So then I think we have to look in the mirror and say, are God's people going? How do we go into the world, a secular world now, yes. and advocate uh, against racism. When we seek justice, justice for all, we're not talking about, you know, justice just for the white guy or just, no, justice is justice for everybody. Part of the, the, the believer's response is, yeah, no, we need to stand up against injustice. When it comes to the good news of Jesus, and especially as it relates to the co-belligerents, co yeah. we have to understand that sometimes our fight will line up with the fight of the non-believers. And that's okay because at the end of the day, we like you talk, we all need God's grace. Yeah. You know, my reasoning for standing up against injustice is so that the goodness of Jesus is preached. My uncle's good news for yeah. you know, my uncle's reasoning for standing up against injustice is simply the fact that he's a black guy and well, you know what? Injustice against black people doesn't stand for him. Yeah. We're walking towards the same goal, which is to fight injustice. Yeah. Mine is so that I have a greater platform to preach the good news of Jesus. Yeah. His is so that, well, no other black person, you know, no other black guy dies. Yeah. And, and so we have to make sure that we keep what's important, important, and that's first and foremost, the good news yeah. of Jesus and what that compels us to do, which is, again, stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. Fight when we see oppression. Fight yeah. when we see injustice. 
What would one last maybe uh, thought or reflection would you like to leave with, um, with people of Northview? It starts with training and educating the little ones in the home. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop talking to your kids about it. You know, it's, is it going to be easy? No. I have a few white friends. For them, it's not easy to talk about race, whether it's with me or with anybody else. Engage with your children in a meaningful way that allows them to see it's okay to be different. Yeah. What's not okay is being treated differently because you're different. Jesus went to the cross for me and for the others. Yeah, yeah. This cultural moment has just revealed in my own heart that my desire to share the good news um, uh, with, with all people is not where it needs to be. I hope we all as Christians can, can think deeply about this situation and see how, how we can grow and yeah. become more like Christ. Let me finish this uh, or, or, or end our conversation uh, just by reading uh, what Peter said after, after Pentecost. We alluded to that a little bit earlier, yes. how God began this, this act of gathering through the, through the blood of Christ, uh, a people of, of every tribe and tongue and nation yes. together. Indeed. This is what he said, uh, what he called people to. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Amen. Might that be our prayer, church? that we would seek to share the good news of Jesus Christ with every tribe, with every tongue, with every nation. God bless you.